Hello and welcome to the Take Charge podcast number 12. You've got myself, Piers Ward, my co-host Andy Pramant, and this time we have a special guest. So we have Chris Ryan Golf, and we're going to be talking about the five things that you need to do to get ready for the golf season, which is right upon us. You're not going to want to miss this. So hello, Chris. How are you? I'm very good. How are you two? I'm very, very good, good. Very yes. good. Very Thank good. you for having me down here at uh, Me and My Golf HQ. HQ, yeah. Love it, love it. So look, we've known you for, I don't even know how long, 20 plus years now. A long time. Uh, probably probably 23, I think. 23. Getting up to 23 years. He's worked yeah. for 23. We're obviously older than we We were all better at golfing as well, weren't we, when we first met? <laughs> we were. Definitely. Quite a lot more, definitely. Yeah, so look, I, look, obviously we know your journey and it's been an amazing journey, but can you just actually... For the listeners, can you actually just go through a quick sort of uh, last 20 years of your golfing career? What have you been up to? Last 20 years? In yeah, two minutes? In two minutes. In two minutes. Okay. So, Five I mean, seconds. yeah, so I, I started golf probably around about the age of 13, which which nowadays is, is old, mm. you know, because you see the kids starting much younger. So, I started about 13, joined uh, my first golf club, which was Oxley Park Golf Club, which is where mm. I met... Mr. Ward and Mr. Proudman. Yes. So uh, I think, Andy, you were a junior member. Piers, you just started working in the shop. This was a veteran by then. Yeah. Um, so that's where I started. Um, kind of stayed and played there. Got myself down to a fairly low handicap. Um, I then, I was having lessons over at the Belfry and I joined the Belfry coaching team as one of their trainee pros in 2001. They were good enough to put me through my PJ training, which I qualified from in 2005. Sorry, 2004. Um, and I qualified in the top 10 of the PGA that year. Stayed at the Belfry for a number of years, doing different roles really. Started off there as a trainee pro, as I say. Moved into a little bit of custom fitting. I worked in the tailor-made mat system, which is the first 3D system we had in the UK. Worked on that for a couple of years. And then I kind of moved a little bit more into coaching. And for me, just kind of when I started coaching, I just found that that was a little bit more of where I, my passion lay. So originally my passion lay in kind of playing golf. But then the more it kind of went on, um, you know, and I started to play less, I ended up sort of coaching more. That became where I saw my future. Um, and so I started coaching, really, and then um, started a YouTube channel in probably 2012, 13. Was it really? Wow. Yeah. And then uh, just recently moved over to Forest of Arden, set yeah. up my academy, Hit Golf Academy. And that's kind of where I am now. Superb. And your academy is over there with another couple of friends of ours, isn't it? It's mm. actually Kevin Hale and Alistair Davis. And I think it's interesting that us growing up playing golf together as juniors, we've all progressed into the coaching world. And I think this is something that obviously myself and you, Pierce, are extremely passionate about. And yep. obviously Chris shares that same passion as well. And it's nice that we're all going on this journey together where, you know, even watching your your YouTube channel grow, Chris, has been brilliant and what you've done is fantastic. And to see you grow and the content that you create continue to improve has been amazing. But it's just nice to know that you know, you're following your passion and you're helping as many golfers out there as you can. And I think it's great that we can get together and, and really put our minds together and create some content for the guys, even on the podcast. And I think the great thing about the podcast is, we were saying off, off air, that it's we can showcase some different things that we can't necessarily do on screen and, you know, sort of give a bit more of a, a broader range of knowledge around golf really so i'm looking forward to getting stuck into this sort of topic of discussion today as well don't you think it's interesting as well it's all from that little golf club in wolverhampton as well it is it's interesting Boston. i mean i think i know you're quite uh, into this andy um but you're kind of very much if you surround yourself with the right people yeah you grow and i think that's really evident in in our group of friends that yeah. you know i've certainly learned a lot of you and and sort of you know not certainly copied you guys but certainly learned a lot of you and, and picked your brains on a few things and think like you 
often pushed. If you surround yourself with the right people, good things happen. Don't exactly, they? yeah, definitely. So the season's around the corner. The Masters is around the corner, hey, which is exciting. Hang on, hang on, hang on. We did our Masters podcast last week. We did. Where I obviously picked the winners yes. and the top ten. Yeah. So you didn't, I did. Obviously hasn't gone live yet. Um, so, Mr. Ryan, who is your number, who's going to win? And who's in your top ten? You didn't even know we were going to ask him this, did you? Didn't know I was really on the spot. spot. Well, top really? ten is easy. He doesn't know who he picked either. Top ten is easy. Yeah. Um, I think Paul Casey. Ooh. I think he's always a big game player. I've had that before. I've had that a few know. times. Um, I don't think he's ever really had a chance to win a major, but he seems to always be be there. He's had a win recently, yeah. so I would definitely put him as a, a top he's been ten. Leading, he's, wasn't he leading going to an Open not too long ago, going into the last round? But yeah, no, he, he, he sometimes he's sometimes been there with majors. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and he was out with injury recently, wasn't he? A few years ago, mm. I think it was a snowboarding injury or something. Uh, but he seems to be back playing some of the best golf he's played. So definitely him for a top ten. To win is is really tricky. Um, I, I know, I think one of you guys might have picked this person, but I think Justin Thomas. I think he's got a good game Ooh, for the course. I think, I think right he hits there, it a long like way. <laughs> he played okay last week in the WGC, kind of last round, though he didn't play as good. But I think he's, uh, he's got the game for Augusta. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that's 100%, that 66% of, of this room is wrong, because it's not going to be him, it's going to be Rory McIlroy who's going to win. I wouldn't, I wouldn't disagree with that. <laughs> the thing is, everyone who, you know, obviously yeah. you pick Rory, we've picked Justin Thomas. It just is open to anyone. And yeah. I think, you know, I mean, none of us have picked Tiber, which is, I'm, which is I'm, I'm disappointed that none I of us have picked top 10. I went top 10. Did you? You went top 10. I went top 10. Top 10. I think we'd get a different answer if we asked who would you like to win. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think we might get three Tiger Woods around this yeah, room. I think you're right, yeah. Okay, so uh, let's get into the topic of discussion today. And really just getting ready for the season. This is the time where some people have been practicing all winter. Some people are just getting the golf clubs out and sort of dusting off the dust and saying, right, I'm going to start now and get on the range and start to get ready for it. So we're going to talk about five things that we need to do to get prepared, ready for the season. So let's start with the first one, Chris. Let's start with the first yeah. thing. And that these, are kind of, these are kind of mainly Chris's, aren't they? They're mainly yours, aren't they? So this is, and we obviously agree with all of them, but yeah, what's your first one? So the first one I've got, and I don't think really enough people do this, is just choose your golf ball okay. that you're going to play with that year. A number of reasons why I think that's important. All too often we'll see golfers on the course just using kind of balls that they find or just what's in their bag. But it really does make a difference to, to how you play. And especially when we come to the shorter areas of the game, the kind of pitching and the bunkers and the putting, different golf balls are going to react very differently. You know, the ball's going to come off at different speeds. It's going to come off at different spin rates. It's going to have a different feel to it. So as soon as you start to change the golf ball that you're using through the season, it's really difficult to build that that feel around the greens and, and, and you know be able to plan and figure out what that ball is going to do when you hit that kind of 20, 30-yard yeah. pitch. And I think it's interesting because let's say somebody hitting a driver and they've got two different golf balls. They're not really going to see a huge amount of difference between the two. But when it comes to short game, you know the launch conditions, the spin, how it reacts, how it feels. And if they're playing one ball different to the next, they're not going to be able to gauge and get used to how that club performs. So if they go to that one ball, they understand the launch, they understand what it's going to do when it hits the green how it's going to roll out. Um, from a consistency aspect and from a learning aspect of what those clubs do, it's vital for them for, you know, for the rest of the season. And I think just playing that one golf ball and sticking with it is, is a massive impact. But as you mentioned, Chris, we see golfers just, you know, just pull a ball out the bag, oh, I'll play with that one today. And it, you know, it's totally different to what they played with the last round. How can they gauge any consistency yeah. from that? I mean, the, the, you know, when I coach, especially short game, one of the things I like to do is get a real premium ball and then just get a driving range ball 
and just get a golf to hit two shots. And it's incredible, the difference. I mean, if you made a list of the differences in those two golf balls, it's a huge list. So you've got yeah. the, the kind of feel stuff, which yeah. is most golfers can pick that up pretty quickly. It feels firmer, it feels softer. But the harder the golf ball is, the higher it will launch, the less it will spin. And if you've got a golf club which is traveling at a certain speed, if it launches higher, it won't carry as far. Mm -hmm. So we've got all these variances. Yeah. So if you, as soon as you get a premium ball and a range ball, and try and hit one shot with both golf balls, you're going to get completely different results. And a lot of golfers are basically doing that through the season. Yeah. They're changing the golf ball, and so they hit a shot which works. The next hole they might use a different ball, and it, suddenly that shot's come out differently. And, and but they don't really maybe see why that's happening. So you know, it doesn't necessarily. It's not that important what the ball is. Well, it is, but I mean, it'd be saying just stick to that same yeah, ball through yeah. the season. Understand how it performs and get used to Absolutely, it. Absolutely, because you'll, you'll get used to the kind of feel of the face and the launch angles and the spins and whether the ball's going to roll out and stop. And that's such an important... Yeah, you know, I mean, a great example of that is if you look at the Ryder Cups, there's a huge debate, isn't it, when it comes yeah. to the foursomes about yeah. what golf ball they're going to play. Yeah. You know, do we go with that ball or that ball? Because they realise the importance of it. Yeah, I'm sure there's been some behind-the-scenes arguments. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Before they go out. I'm pretty sure there. I'm pretty sure there has. Cool. All right, and the very valid point. So what about the second one you've got? So this is something which I, I think the listeners will know that they should do, yeah. but maybe they don't always do. And it's just get your yardages. Go and see a professional who's got access to a track man, uh, something on those lines, and just get your yardages to start the season. Yeah. I say to start the season because in an ideal world, you'd probably want to maybe check them. Yes, You know, course. if your maybe conditions change, it warms up a little bit. But mm -hmm. just getting your yardages, getting the gapping, and you're going to start to see, you know, firstly how far you hit the ball, but you're also going to start to see whether there are any gaps in there, whether you maybe need to look at maybe changing your, yeah. your, your setup. Um, you're probably not going to have any gaps through your irons, but it might be through, okay, I've got a bit of a gap between my pitching wedge and my 54-degree wedge, or maybe or there's a gap at my top end of the bag. Um, but we talk about this all the time, that the golfers maybe not knowing how far they hit it, or not being maybe accurate with their yes. information. Yes. And look, and you know what? If you look at the, the best players in the world, you know they'll they'll stand on the range with their, with their track man and they'll figure out how far the golf ball is going that week. You know They'll want to know, because obviously if they have any sort of climate change or altitude change, you know, they want to make sure that they are ready to go for that week. So if they're doing it every week, then, you know, amateur golf should at least do it once a year. <laughs> Absolutely. Sure. And I think I think with this as well, I'd say, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to make up this number actually, by the way. Um, I would say 90 to 95% of people who would come to us for coaching and you stuck them on Trapman and you said, this is how far you're carrying the golf ball, they will think they are carrying the golf ball further. Yeah. I would say that would be a massive high percentage. And if that is 90%, then... For all you guys who are listening to this, you actually think you carry the golf ball further than you do. So until you actually measure it and get some data, then you're just guessing. And I think it's a, it might hurt your ego a little bit to start with. You might think, oh, I'm hitting a seven iron, I'm only carrying it at 125. But in reality, that is valuable information when you're on the golf course to know if you've got bunkers surrounding a par three, for instance. You know, total distance is really irrelevant. You want to make sure you know you've got the club that's going to give you the carry over those bunkers. And... You know, majority of golfers, as we know, would tend to probably underclub, um, you know, and, and often sometimes, you know, they're, they're going to miss the middle of the face, which influences it as well. So I think it's, it's a huge thing that every golfer should do, especially everyone listening to this. I agree. And it's an average. Yeah, Because exactly. I'll, I will see golfers, when I do this and put them on track, man, they'll hit 10 shots. And they'll we'll look to the numbers and they'll pick the best one they've hit. Yeah. So I hit it 165. You go, well, no, that was your, that was your best. Mm. It's potentially good to have that information because you want to know that maybe, okay, my average is 160, but I know I can hit it 167. Have I got room where that can, you know, yeah. before I run out of green? But it's looking at that average and, 
and not looking at that perfect shot. And the other point as well is a lot of golfers will give us the yardages with roll, yeah. whereas we'd like that number as a carry distance. So that is, and, and this is this is where it can get a little bit, you know, it, a little bit different because it depends on the golf course that you play, doesn't it? Because we know for a fact, let's take our old golf course of Oxley Park. You play the golf course now, how far the golf ball goes in total will be a lot less than it will do in two months' time when the ball is rolling a lot more. So again, you may be playing courses where you've got very receptive greens where the ball pitches with a five iron and hops back. So you just obviously need to understand where you're taking that yardage from. So as you said then, Chris, please don't take, obviously understand how far it could go total um, and if there's any trends in that, but don't take that as the way you're gonna land it because you know, look at par threes where people really struggle with their scores. How often do they leave it short and what short generally on a par three? It's usually a bunker. Mm. They're the most well-guarded greens on the golf course. Exactly. You'd hope that the carry distance is the constant and the total is the one you have to predict exactly. Exactly. on the day. Yeah, exactly. Which is a, which is a skill in itself, isn't which it? Trying to yeah, figure chip, out. Chip, isn't it? Like a chip and run. Uh, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Perfect. All right, I like that. Anything else, guys? Andy, have you got anything else? Uh, just a quick one on the gapping. I think what, what's really important, if you do go for a fitting or, or a, to go and see your professional on that, go through the whole range of your clubs because you need to understand... Um, if you've got any large gaps in your club, so for instance you might have a huge gap between your 3-iron and your 3-wood, then therefore you might need to put a rescue in place, or you might have a, a huge gap in your wedges, you, know, you might need to go for a gap wedge to fill a certain spot. Um, so I think that's crucial, just making sure you've got the relevant club for the relevant distance and there's no real um, sort of glaring obvious gaps in the bag. Really. And again, we can talk about this all day, can't we? And, and again with that, the big issue with long irons is they're harder to use. So you may be able to hit that three iron and get that gapping right, that one shot yeah. out of 10. But if you're consistently going to be hitting your three iron and four iron the same as your five iron on a carry, um, then you need to maybe look at going for hybrids and things like that. So yeah, yeah valid point, good Mr. Point. Very good. Okay, moving on to the next one, which is, I suppose, a little bit related to the last one, Chris. Absolutely. So yeah, they kind of, as you say, they lead on. So this would be, you know, getting ready for the season, just establish now how you're going to work out how far you've got on the golf course. There's different devices. We've got the kind of the lasers, which is your kind of maybe your bushnells where you actually zap the flag or you zap the bunker. And then you've got the kind of the watches, the GPS ones, which give you yardages. But And apps now. And apps, yeah, apps in your phone. And, and certainly, you know, I know the first time I used um, a bushnell, you know, you're kind of missing the flag and you get in the trees at the back and yeah. that kind of stuff. So this is the kind of stuff where you need to really be comfortable with the device that you're using, you know, whether it's a bushnell, whether it be an app, is just practice with that now so that when the season starts, you're comfortable using that and you've got the distances to the front, the middle, the back, because having your distances, you hit the clubs to hand is great, but if you're not accurate in, you know, in the yardages, you know, and, and certainly to reduce your scores, being pretty accurate where that flag is, you know, because some greens are going to be 25, 30 yards from front to back, so it can be three different clubs depending on where the flag is. So, yeah. Making it a habit, isn't it? I think if you can put it into your routine so it becomes a habit. I know when I've been on the golf course and I forgot my GPS, you know, when I was using a watch, um, I'd, I'd be looking at my wrist when I get to the ball, even if I didn't have it on. So it shows how quickly you can develop these habits and routines. And I think once you develop these, um, you know, your consistency over the rounds and your games are going to be a lot better. And just a quick question, actually, Chris, and you, Pierce, on this one. If we had the GPS when we were, or the Bushnells when we were juniors, do you think we would have been better? Yeah, Tiger would have had to watch out, for sure. What do you think? <laughs> um, that's a good question. Would we have been any better because of that? Yes. Or do you think that because of the amount of golf we played, we were that finely tuned to how far the golf ball was going? And I don't think it would have met 
I'm going to the, I'll, I'll answer it for you. <laughs> I don't think it would have made a big difference on probably Oxley, no. but I think probably on a different golf course. And, and do you know what I think? This is the, this is it. Personally, to us, would it have made much difference? I, hey, look, I, I think that if you would have turned yourself into a full-time golfer, you'd have done everything it would, that was required through course plans and things like that, mapping out the course. You'd have been able to do that by yourself beforehand. So. Uh, would it have helped us? Probably yes, because we didn't actually uh, do all that sort of mapping out. I think it would. I, I, so I think there's yeah. definitely a benefit, of course. But if oh, it was yeah. only three or four yards. That three or four yards yeah. is massive, isn't of course. it? I think 100%, because I think if you look at you know, you look at certain holes in your golf course, it's maybe a raised green or it's a, a sheltered green, you actually can't see the putting surface. So if you're in the middle of the fairway and you don't have any device, all you see is flag. Yeah. You don't you have no idea where that is. So as a, as a junior, what do we do? Just just mm. pick the middle of the green yardage yeah. and hit it. Yeah. So knowing that information and being more accurate with that would would only have helped. It might only yeah. have been you know a shot every three or four rounds, but it would certainly have made made a difference. But we had to use the old uh, posts in the fairway yeah. and the old yardage charts. Do you know what? None of those are actually were ever right. The one on the seventh was actually 158. Yards. Is that what you told yourself, Piers? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I told you in that <laughs> Yeah, but look, hey, fantastic. Look, massively important. Okay, so right, we're in number four now. So this is certainly going to be useful for the golfers who are members of clubs, um, and maybe even if you're not a member, if you're playing at a golf course on a regular basis, um, and you can maybe sit down with a course planner and actually just work out your strategy for the best way to get yourself round that golf course. You know, such an important part of, of, of playing well is having a game plan and, and sticking to it. And uh, we've actually kind of filmed a video yeah. today on, on a similar topic and kind of talking about sticking to that game plan. But, you know, again, we're probably not talking here to the best players in the world, but we certainly want to look at what they do and, and take something from that. And that's what they do. You know, they will have a strategy and they will have a, I will play this hole because that is the best way for me to play this hole. And it's interesting, actually, it brings back a, a memory, actually, when we played at Oxley. And I think it was... Um, club championship, the year it got rained off. Yes. Yeah. I think your first round, was it first, first round anyway, and I think you played with Gordon Harris. You played with Gordon Harris? I did. Gordon Harris. And I remember coming off and I spoke to Gordon, he said, Chris played like amazing. I think you, you, had, a, you had a shot 300 or something like so that. 300. 300, yeah. yeah. So I think, and he came off and he said, Chris played so well. He said, he hit two iron almost off every tee. And I was like, I think that I was like, I was not shocked, but I thought, okay, actually, that, Pretty sensible, actually. There, like you hit two iron off, let's say, um, or even three iron off, like four and maybe three and five. And I thought, well, round Oxley, the last thing you want to do, you didn't need driver because if you got yourself in a position where you could have wedge nine iron in or gap wedge or whatever, you can score. Mm -hmm. So you were just taking out all the danger off the tee and saying, well, if I'm in play, I can get it in play with a two iron or three iron, and I've still only got a short iron in anyway. And you set yourself up there to be attacking on the on the second shots as opposed to putting you in danger and risking being in the trees. Yeah, well the way I looked at that golf course was kind of, um, and, and I guess back then it was more instinct rather than actually thinking intentionally what I was doing, but I used to look at a hole and say, well where do I want my ball to be? Yeah. There, and then it was just a case of what club do I need to hit to get to there? Um, I think if you're trying to put a good score together over 18 holes, you won't have the best score if you play defensive for 18 holes. But equally, you won't have the best score if you play aggressive for 18 holes. Yeah. So it's about choosing, and I was more defensive from the tee, but then aggressive with my, with my iron shots. Yeah. And, and that was the way I saw that golf course. But exactly as Andy said, I, I would stick to my game plan and, uh, and do that. Oh, actually, I definitely changed. He actually told me a story differently. He said he was rubbish at driving. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to so, help him out there. Yeah, absolutely. You know what, I think the, the, the good thing with this so far, I mean, obviously the, the, 
the way you've thought about your topics here, Mr. Ryan, has been very good because you know we're talking about distances to your clubs and things like that. Now, you know, in your strategy, obviously, and you just alluded to it there. You know, you need to know how far you're hitting the golf ball in order to plan out a hole. So, and for me, yes, we say you know there's no excuse at all for a member of a golf club who shouldn't have the perfect plan. And a lot of members who play the same golf course just because they say play the same golf course think they have a plan, but they don't. You know, if you're playing a regular course, you should have a plan, no excuses. I think that now with the technology we have, um, the internet or the apps that you use, you can plan out a golf course. We could go and play a golf course tomorrow that we've never played and have a perfect plan when we get there. Yeah. You know, we use the 18 birdies app. You know, you can actually pinpoint where you want to hit your tee shot, and what yardage it will leave you your second shot, and then when you're on the golf course, you can find out where the flag is and you can find out where you want to hit the golf ball on the green. So you can, I don't think you can go overboard on this unless it gets in the way of your natural flow. But as long as you plan it the night before or whenever it is, you have this plan that you can just go and adhere to when you're going to play golf. Now we know you're not going to nail the shot exactly 248 yards down the left-hand side of the fairway to leave your pitching wedge in. You're not going to do that every time, but have that plan and you've got more chance. Yeah, the good thing about that is you know having a plan that really allows for some poor shots because look you yeah. you're going to hit some poor shots knowing they're going to come, but having a plan that actually allows you a little bit of room for error so when they do come you're not going to be in too much trouble and you're taking out the severe double bogey that might happen yeah. or the, and the triple big, or whatever. This is the big part of the plan. Exactly, isn't it? it's not about saying I, I know I hit my drive two hundred and twenty-five yards. Um, and I'm just going to play for that every time. You know, you, you look at where the trouble is and plan around. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. All right, anything else on that, Mr. Prabhu? I think that's good. I that's think good. that's good. I think, I think strategy is massively important. Great important. information. Right, we've got one more. Number five, what have we got? Okay, so this is uh, this is a little bit more maybe golf swing technique stuff, but many of you, many of your listeners, uh, many of us will be doing swing work over the winter, you know, maybe changing some part of your swing because maybe we're trying to improve the ball flight, maybe take out some curve or maybe add some yardage. And certainly in the UK, you know, two to three months now, it's been very, very difficult to get onto the course. So a lot of people have been spending most of their time at the range making their swing changes. The problem with that is you tend to get very focused on what you're doing, very focused on the swing. Um, and we really want to use this opportunity now to start to change that focus and think more external, so more about the target. So we can just start to influence our practice in a certain way that we start to change that mindset. So we can talk about a little bit short game. So short game, I would get people to do a lot more scoring games now. So something called par 18, where you choose nine locations around a green. The idea is to chip the ball close to the hole and hold the putt. Two shots would be a par two, do that nine times, par 18. Um, and you can actually almost have a little handicap system. So if that takes you 22, that's four over. Do that again next week and try and beat that four over. So it's starting to be more target focused and outcome focused about what am I trying to do? Well, I'm trying to get the ball in the hole as opposed to potentially for the last two to three months, it's be more a case of technique, I'm trying to do X, Y, Z. And certainly if you start the season, walk on that first team, thinking about too much swing stuff, yeah. um, it's probably not going to go too well. And you, you know what, the thing is now, this time of year, people are going to want to get on the golf course and listen to this and go, oh, I could have done with this, you know, maybe a couple of months ago. Well, guess what? Par 18 is brilliant on the golf course because you can play golf, the three of us can play golf, and we can do a par 18, uh, sorry, we can, do, we can do that on one on each hole, can't yep. we? So we can get on the first, hole out our normal play and then find a position around the greens, right? Let's see if we can get up and down, get a par, whatever the score is, and you can just do one of those in every nine holes and there you go. There's, oh. your, there's your scorecard done. So Absolutely. It, it works really well. And I think, you know, I would have, um, I suppose I would have a battle with a lot of golfers who, who have lessons who didn't really see the importance of the short game stuff and, and, and didn't want to have, the, didn't have the time to do it, couldn't get down in the week. And we totally understand that, that, you know, time is of the essence. Um, but, 
I actually did a game, it's like similar to a Dave Peltz game where you, you know, you'd have a four points in the hole, three points within three feet, and then it, the, the game itself isn't that really important. But I timed how long it would take to put the T-pegs out. In fact, I got the gentleman in, gentleman in question to do it. So he put the T-pegs out, walked to his position, played his 10 shots, picked the T-pegs up, worked out his score, and it took five minutes, 22 seconds. So if you can find five minutes, 22 seconds before you go out and play golf, it's definitely going to help you. If you did that every time you went out there, you've got a, a practice game which is, puts pressure on you as well, which is obviously two components that you do need. Yeah, I like the scoring aspect as well because I think yeah. it, it's easy to get to there, just play a few chips and get it close to the hole and move on, but there's no real um, consequence or pressure. And you, yeah. you put a, a game in where you need to score and you, maybe you want to beat it next time, yeah. all of a sudden you feel different. And then when you go on the golf course, it's not so different in how it feels when you are in a medal yeah. or whatever. And so fun as well. And fun yeah, exactly. Well. Yeah, you know, having a, having something to, to strive for as opposed to just getting on there and being no pressure. I think it's a lot more beneficial doing that. So Chris, what would you say if someone was obviously, they'll take that on board, you know, the, the long game, sorry, the short game they need to work out. What about their long game? So they're still working their technique on the range, still want to figure things out. Would you just change the frequency of how much they did on technique and try and implement some games? So I definitely would start to to rein back the technical stuff and start to implement more target stuff. So for me, you know, we'll talk about a golfer who's maybe maybe done some winter work and trying to change their golf swing. For me, there's three phases to changing your golf swing, and I'll call them the three T's. So you've got the teaching, which is kind of the bit where the pro kind of tells you what you need to do. And often that that part doesn't take that long. You know, you can have maybe one or two lessons, then you've got a clear idea of, okay, my club path is this, my club face is this, I need to do X, Y, and Z to change it. So there's the teaching. Once you've got past that, you're then into the training. The training is, okay, well now I need to change it. That's my drills, that's my range practice. And then when people have maybe that golf thing that looks better on camera, they then can play golf. But they miss the last two, which is the transference of those skills. It's kind of how do I transfer those newfound skills to the golf course? I didn't know what his last team was. I'll try to work it out. And so the, the games, the kind of, you know, the target and the outcomes into the short game, having those games where it's maybe a scoring based game or and you're suddenly putting the, the focus more on, okay, there's an objective now, then you start to transfer those skills because all too often we'll see golfers with the, the new, almost their new golf swing and they can't wait to go on the course and they suddenly yeah. don't, it doesn't work. And it's, they've kind of neglected that last area of, okay, just because you can do it on the range, it doesn't yet mean you can do it on the, on the course. So this is the time of year to put those transference of skills in and start to do things. So, um, you know, a great little example of a game you can do with, with the long game would be just to pick a fairway out on the driving range, you know, use two markers, two trees in the distance, wherever it may be, and visualize an out of bounds on the left. Um, and very simply, if you hit it out of bounds, you get minus five points. If you hit it in the fairway, you get five points. If you miss it on the safe side, you get zero. And just hit 10 shots and just score yourself. So how many did it out of bounds? How many did it hit in the fairway? And then you might want to try and do that with a, a draw shot and then see how many you scored yourself. And then a fade shot. And so you're, you're very much more target focused, but as well as putting some pressure on, if you do that a few times, you may well have some information that tells you, okay, when I'm on a hold and there's trouble on the left, I seem to perform better when I try and draw the ball, or I seem to perform better when I fade the ball. So I like the practice this time of year to be transferring skills, but also I call it evidence gathering. Yeah. So these golfers are now trying to gather evidence which they can use on the golf course to say, okay, I'm on a hole, there's trouble on the right, I know my evidence says I am better when I hit this shot. Um, and you know the articles that you read in magazines and the YouTube videos are great to say this is the plan when there's trouble on the right, but you want to really base your decision on evidence that you've gathered in practice. Yes. Um, and as soon as you start to talk to someone about this type of practice, they almost start to switch off on the technical stuff. You know, and you can definitely keep on top of that and, and you know, keep checking it, but 
certainly more game stuff, I think, is good this time of year. It's interesting, isn't it? Because all of these points here, really, you know, you're talking, you know, you know, obviously technique is a massive part of golf. It really is, and it's a massive part of what we do with our instruction. But, you know, there's still, as you say, this transference, getting onto the golf course and playing. You know, can I play golf? You know, how do I do that? What is the best way to, for, for me, Bill Smith, to play golf? So, I've changed my name. So we, you know, it's, it's really important that you understand and gather as much information about yourself as possible. That's it. Not necessarily saying what Dave does and what Fred does. It's about what does Bill do? What do I do when I play golf when I'm in these positions, you know, you know, with trouble right and left and what have you. So a really valid point there. Very yeah, I think there's, a, there's, a, there's a, a part, isn't there, where you just need to let go of what you've done yeah. and then take that to the golf course and be able to play with that new swing, if you like, and just actually play golf, which is... Yeah. Which is important, like say over the winter now, a lot of people have made a lot of changes. Well, you know, we need to figure out how that tra transition period is going to work, and then get on the course and, and not really think too much about technique. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Look, Mr. Ryan, thank you so much for your time. What have you? A uh, couple of questions first before we finish. What have you got planned for the rest of the year? Have you got anything interesting coming up? Uh, just a, just a busy year. I've got a golf school in May, which uh, I'm going to Portugal, so that should be good fun. Went there last year, fantastic facility, so going back Amadouera. in May. Amadouera, I know you guys yeah, have been there. Yeah, it's a uh, fantastic, tough course. Yeah. I'm glad I'm not playing. I'm glad I'm not playing, I'm just coaching. 600 and something odd, was it? That, 630? That 630 par. Yeah, great place there. So I'm there in May, um, and just, yeah, just got some stuff. Um, got a few potentially exciting projects for later in the year with TaylorMade. Excellent. Um, which are yet to be signed off, but they look quite interesting, so they yeah, should be cool. quite good. No pressure then, I've got to do it now because you've said it. Well, I didn't say what they were, <laughs> so I've not, not packed myself into corner just yet. Um, and just, yeah, busy coaching and uh, hopefully still still doing all the, the online stuff. Now, look, the, the, obviously the content that you're doing, it just seems to be getting better all the time. So if anyone wants to see this content, where have they got to go? So the best place would be YouTube, which is Chris Ryan Golf. Okay. Um, and Chris Ryan Golf is my um, username across all, all channels. Okay. So Instagram, Chris Ryan Golf, Twitter and Facebook. Excellent. Can we put the link in the description? I'm not even sure, actually. We'll have a go. We can, we'll have sure a go. We're find out. If, we, if we can, guys, we'll put the link in the description down below. Brilliant. Down below this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> can't see it. Can't see it. Video mode. Video mode. We're all pointing down below, by the way, and <laughs> uh, gathered. Brilliant. All right, Chris. Thank you so much for your time. Yes, cheers, Chris. Absolute pleasure. Pleasure really, to be here. Really, really good. Thank you. So thanks for listening to episode 12 of the Take Charge podcast. Hope you got some very useful things that you could start planning and preparing for the season. Now, if you are looking to break 100 then we may just have the answer. We have a fantastic coaching plan that we've designed uh, that actually launches next week on Monday the 9th of April where myself and Pierce will actually guide you through a six-week program that we've designed that will have you breaking 100. Uh, it's uh, something that we've put a lot of work into. We know you're going to love it. Make sure you check it out over at meandmygolf.com and we will see you over there. Thanks for listening.